Hello and welcome to the Where We Left Off podcast. I'm your host, Austin Gall, here with my co-host, Tommy Hanlon. The two of us have been working together for more than 10 years in the music industry, from managing a DIY venue to traveling the Midwest throwing parties. We've met some pretty interesting people along the way. This podcast is dedicated to conversations with artists and road dogs we have formed friendships with and see time and time again. We pick up where we left off. Tommy, good to see you, man. It's The time has come. We're finally here, and who would have thought... We're, we're in person again. So we're recording our first episode in person today. I'm prepping for a little vacation away uh, with some friends in Colorado. So I had some time to meet with my good friend Tommy before I left. So Tom, it's good to see you, man. Like it's it's been it's been almost a year since we've seen each other in person. I know we saw each other like a month into the pandemic, and then I didn't see you. You went off to Colorado, like we've talked about a couple times on this podcast. But you look good. You look good, buddy, man. Yeah, man. It has been a while. I. For people who don't know our lives, I picked him up at the airport yesterday and it was like, oh shit, dude, this is actually happening. Like, yeah. Did the whole embrace thing and made a fool of ourselves in front of some other oh, people. Oh, totally but did. I think I, I yelled really loud when like you got out of the car. I was like, hey, what's up, motherfucker? Yep, <laughs> like the lady yeah, behind he me was like, yelled some fuck? profanities <laughs> in a public place with you know small children around. It was awesome. I oh. love picking up friends from the airport. With my license plate attached to that, but, you know. <laughs> dude. But uh, of all places to be sitting here again in a music venue, uh, I think is the perfect first in-person um, show we could have done. Yeah. So, show. for a little bit of context here, we're sitting at the waiting room in the in the infamous green room here at the waiting room. Um, you know, pretty much the last time that we were together, we were finishing up our last weekend run for emo night in February of 2020, and. We were out like every single weekend of that month. You know, I, I think I've told that story way too many times in this podcast, but it's crazy to think about what's happened between now and then because I feel like I feel like a whole new fucking person. Like I moved to St. Louis. Like I haven't seen you for a year. I haven't seen my good friend Ryan sitting here on the on the podcast. And I haven't seen him in like seven months. I haven't seen my parents in seven months. It's been a it's been an uncomfortable time, but it's also been really. I feel like I've embraced it too. You know, like I feel. I feel good. I feel refreshed coming home for the first time in a long time. I feel I feel good, you know. But anyway, so we're ha- we're here today at the waiting room, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. We're gonna have a conversation with our good friend Mark Leibowitz from One Percent Productions and the Waiting Room and Reverb Lounge. A guy who I really grew up <laughs> scared of, uh, scared of because I thought he was the bigger promoter in my hometown. I was always so afraid to make contact with him for whatever reason, but I finally did. And after spending a lot of time with him and admiring his work, we now work pretty closely together. I mean, it's important to note that me and Tommy have been going to his shows for more than a decade. I mean, once I got serious about booking shows, you know, I really turned to Mark to form a friendship because, uh, you know, I've always really loved what one percent is done uh in this city and he's been nothing but great so i thought it would be a good idea to invite him on i mean truly more than and lack of a better way to put it uh, a trusted business ally uh but really a good friend as well so but i thought it'd be fun to bring mark on the show today to talk about uh, a plethora of different things i think we've got a lot of things to talk about today uh from omaha music to owning music venues during a pandemic much to discuss so uh so here we are mark welcome to the show thanks for joining us today thanks thanks for for, uh, having me Thanks for hosting us in in, the, in our nice little. It feels it feels really funny to be here because I have so many memories in this green room. Like whether it be good or bad, it, yeah. it, it is. It, it feels good to one be back in a familiar place and right. two to be back in a place where we've done 
so much good business. I felt this dressing had... room was an appropriate place to, to do this podcast <laughs> yeah, for babe. some reason. I don't know, you know. It's almost too familiar. Like it feels a little bit too much like home. And yeah, like I you said a wide range of things have happened in this oh, room. And we, and we from, really yeah. want these dressing rooms to be comfortable and people to like it and want to hang out in here. I thought, you know, okay, I'll experience it like maybe an artist would or whatever. I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm an a... artist today, kind of. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I are f- the guest. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I feel like uh, I feel like we're about to walk out and like rip like an emo night set like right now. Like I, I know it's like only. Like it's like three ten in the afternoon, but like I feel like, like I'm about to like walk out to like six hundred people out there. Man, it feels good to be back, man. But uh, Mark, nice. how, how you doing, man? It's been I guess it's to this date it's been probably seventeen months since like we've been face to. I guess I don't we even saw know each other even at the last show. The, yeah, the, you know that's that's the thing. The shows that happened in early twenty twenty. If I'd have known we weren't going to be doing shows for a year, maybe I would have attended more of them. <laughs> right. Um, I think but, there's a I think there's a lot of things that all of us would have done had we known what was ahead of us. (laughs) But no, things, you know, things are good. We, you know, they're starting to pick back up. We, you know, we, we, we have a promising fall. We have lots of big stuff on the horizon for venues and stuff that we'll talk about, I'm assuming. And, oh yeah, we got a lot. uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like, it, it, it couldn't get worse from what we went through in the last, you know, 15 months or whatever. Uh, but I think it's it's going to be people are excited about the shows we are having. Everything is selling. Every people are spending money. They're excited about going to shows. Those shows are a little bit further out. Uh, it's not like they're next week or they're in June or whatever. But the shows in in fall are, are selling and people are ready to come back out. It's just a, another reminder to everybody out there listening: get your fucking vaccine because <laughs> I want to get. We all want to get back to the shit. Pretty you know? much, yeah. I mean, you know, it's up in the, you know we don't know what to do about masks for now and what venues should do and all that kind of stuff. But we just you know just keep just get your vaccine. And we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, the good um, thing is the good know. thing is like cases have been plummeting like almost everywhere. Yeah. You know, like that's like that's the best thing about all of this right now is like we're coming home on like. The, the stretch run of all of this, you know, like the light is like so bright at the but end But I think, the you know, I think all of us might have someone in our circle that doesn't want to get the vaccine yeah. that you're kind of surprised about or not necessarily disappointed in, but a combination of the two. And you're just like, really? And you want to kind of help them. But then, you know, there's, there's, there's no great way to go about really addressing it with somebody besides just get your fucking vaccine. I had that conversation. So we can party again. Yeah. Know? I had that conversation with my parents last night. You know, even hearing my parents talk about it. Like, you know, it's not that like I, I don't expect them to not, um, you know, to not be riled up and like for people to get their vaccines. But like they're passionate about it, too. And I, like it's good to see like people around me like getting passionate about getting shots yeah. in arms because that's what's going to get us back to full strength. You know, I mean, Tommy, Tommy back on the road, people back in your venues and me back doing emo night. You know, I mean, you know, mo- there's a bunch of states where everything's already open to whatever you want to do. Right? We could do whatever we could do 100 percent capacity right now. And I think once this mask mandate was gone, there'd be no, we can do 100% capacity with no masks. Yeah, yeah right. California's still n- not quite there. Sure, sure. Uh, but, it, you know, the it's a matter of whether there's, whether everyone will still come back. Yeah. In the fall, you can tell they are for sure. In the meantime, it's getting a little bit better. We're kind of rolling up caps. We're kind of, you know, pressing a little bit more. Yeah. Taking some of the tables out, letting people stand shoulder to shoulder, yep. which hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because I think the CDC kind of flipped everybody on their head this week saying, hey, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear the mask, you know? Right, like, but I you have no idea really, how to tell the difference between yeah. someone who's not wearing the mask because they got vaccinated yeah. and someone who's not wearing a mask because they're an asshole. Yeah, um, right, You know, exactly. you, just have, you can't, there's no stamp that you can, <laughs> yeah. you know, have yeah. on or whatever. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I mean, if it means getting back to normal, like, I'll carry my vax card anywhere. I'll take it to the well, grocery store. I have my store. vaccination like, card care. on me. It's not that. I mean, yeah. they just announced Lollapalooza today, and they announced theirs is... Uh, Playing it. Um, you, have to, you have to have proof of vaccination or proof of a negative test within 24 hours in order to attend. Really? 
that's something. There's a lot of festivals being announced. A lot of them haven't said what they're doing. Some of them have. Everyone's doing something different. It's not surprising. Um, Dude, Tommy, that's a note for you, man. Like, congrats, Tommy. So yeah, you, finally you, can talk about it. Yeah, been sitting on that one for a minute. Yeah, so Lollapalooza. Uh, yeah. Grandson's playing. We're. Oh, nice. uh, I think me. Nice. I don't know if the lineup lineups announced yet. So the lineup lineup was announced. They haven't announced who's playing on what days. So don't necessarily what, oh, say okay, anything yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, I did. But. Th- <laughs> they definitely yeah, announced right, all their right. Yeah, yeah. We'll be there. We'll be chilling. Come hang out and find me at Lollapalooza. That's, awesome. that's going to be the first weekend back. So that's a pretty good dive in. It's pretty much like diving straight into the ocean. It's going to be. It's and gonna that's be late. Peak Look, that's the last weekend of July. It, yeah. You know, it's a yeah. solid two months, you know, two and a half months away. It should be even safer by then. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm expecting COVID cases to really. Chicago I mean, they, signed plummeted. off on Lollapalooza 100%. I mean, preparing, yeah. you know, Coachella is not going to happen. No, uh, I don't think no. California is going to sign off on them, no. but um, it just it surprises me that I mean, because Illinois and California aren't that far away in terms of politics. Well, Chicago is a major, 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 major. The, well, city, Chicago you know, is the reason that that state is so liberal. You yeah. know, I mean, that's it's an island, and that's much like Omaha is. You know, but okay, so uh, hold on, let's let's okay. let's 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 back it up here a little bit. I want to I want to <coughs> learn a little bit more about Mark today. So right. let's start start out learning a little bit more about about you in general, because truly, I I mean. We spend a lot of time talking business all the time. We don't really, you know, we never sat down and got in a beer or like, you know, sat, sat and smoked. <laughs> Good As Tommy Seems opened like a perfect yeah. time to crack a beer. Yeah, we outside. are in a bar technically, so <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we can do whatever. So, you know, I mean, we've never sat, I guess in, in our terms, we've never sat down and smoked a joint together, I guess. That's sure. probably more appropriate. But uh, I mean, uh, did you grow up in Omaha? I mean, are you from Omaha? I did. Itself? I mean, I wasn't but, born here. My, my family moved here when I was like, you know, five months old or something okay. like that. Um, I, we got moved here from Baltimore. Hmm. Uh, my dad got moved to work at the med center here. Oh, nice. Had no family, had nobody anywhere near Nebraska. <clears throat> Didn't know if there were any other Jews in town. Yeah. Uh, and came to Nebraska. You know, my dad grew up in New York. My mom grew up in like nowhere, Maryland. And then they, they, they were in Baltimore. And so we ended up here. I grew up here, went to high school, middle school, everything here. And then I went to University of Texas. No, Nice. A Longhorn, um, huh? Yeah, I was a Longhorn. I don't oh, exactly man. know why I went there other than <laughs> I did really well in high school, but it was their application was just put your name on it pretty much. Where did you go to high school? Uh, Burke. Oh, okay. So, um, so and then... Um, For those of you listening outside of Omaha, Burke is just on the edge of like Omaha proper, essentially, right? It's like the most West school yeah. that's not yeah. Millard. Yeah, That's right. not like a, a, you know, a different school system. So not like in Omaha proper, but pretty pretty damn close. Jim, my business partner, went. we went to middle school and high school together. We weren't necessarily that good of friends, but we were friendly enough. Sure. Um, and then one year, um, one year Jim and a, one, of my, one of our good buddies' brothers came down for South by Southwest. And Jim and I sort of reignited our friendship. And we had talked about, you know, I mean, look, I went to Austin. And they called themselves the live music capital of the world. There was every band I ever wanted to see was playing. Most of the time they were playing at Emos, which the shows were free if you were over 21. And I had a fake ID at the time, so I could go to see all Legendary these shows Legendary venue. And, um, you know, so we, it was in the middle of college, Jim and I were having the conversation of, you should come back to Omaha and we should book shows. Because we always wondered why the shows that we thought were cool weren't coming through town. They didn't play the Ranch Bowl. Sure. You know, we learned a lot more later in law on, like, why the bands we didn't, <laughs> why the bands we thought were cool <laughs> right. weren't playing the Ranch yeah. Bowl. But it's just the time we just thought they were being overlooked. It was too underground or whatever. And so we had talked about it in college. Let's come back and do shows. Um, and then somehow I ended up back here after college. I don't, you know, I didn't really intend to come back or intend to stay in Austin. It was, I had too good a time at school. I didn't really want to live in Austin as like a real adult and go get a job. 
So I came back to Omaha and uh, I got offered a real job doing computer programming, which is what I was trained to do in college. It was an information systems uh, major. Kind of took a left turn there. And then, but took a job for half the pay at Homer's running their computers for a couple years. And they let me do the booking on the side and they were real cool with helping me start my business on while working for them. Yeah. And that put us on the path to where we are now. Dude, so Homer's, for those of you out of state listening to, is like an iconic piece of Omaha's local music scene. It is, it is, they've since shrunk their, their, you know, <laughs> reach in Omaha. You know, they've, they've closed several of their locations, but still they have a location downtown, their record store. They've always years. sold tickets for your shows. Specifically, yep. I remember yep, going to Homer's. We made them a ticket outlet and, and all kinds yeah. of other stuff. Yeah. And yeah, crazy, man. I mean, well, so what was like your lived experience in terms of like the Omaha music scene when you were a kid? I mean, did you like it here? Did you what 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 shows did you grow up going to? I wasn't necessarily. I mean, I liked music as a kid. I liked. I always liked music, but I wasn't necessarily into the coolest stuff per se. Um, you know, like it, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I was a Rush fan. If that says anything, that, you know, it, it, it does. It, it says a lot, <laughs> and it says that there weren't a lot of girls around at the time. Yeah. No, you know, no, no girls are in a rush. But then, you know, in, in oh. you know, when I, you know, 1991, you know, the year punk broke or whatever. That was, you know, that was my junior year of high school. That was the year, and, that was the year I was born. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was my junior year of high school, and we, you know, we'd we'd recently gotten into you know the, the kind of band that sort of broke it open for me was Jane's Addiction, oh, yeah. great um, band. and you know, and we so we started listening to cooler music, and then I was getting into classic rock and all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, so but so you know, and I saw shows. I never, never really. I mean, we saw a couple house shows, you know, when I was in high school. Where were house shows happening in Omaha? Well, it wasn't even a house show. There was like an FOE hall type okay, thing, okay. like it's like, know, a D, like a like a like a, a DIY yeah, hall. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I saw a friend's bass light on fire, kind of thing. What was like um, the first show, like proper concert you remember going? Well, the to? first show I went to in in uh, was in 1983. My, my I went to see Sticks with my parents with my mom. Yeah. The Killer was here tour in Lincoln. She drove us to Lincoln to wow. to, to, to see Sticks. Uh, what about like okay so but then that's, you know that's, I mean, a, that's a great first show like yeah, my first show was like away. Green Day but like what about like your first like DIY or like more underground style show I mean I don't know what the first one was I and mean, when we saw a lot of shows at the Ranch Bowl whether it was like you know I, in high school I saw Pearl Jam I saw Body Count yeah, uh, yeah. shout I out Ice T um, you know the the that's sort of staple of shows but the stuff with you know it, it just I wasn't paying enough attention to it at the time. Like I said, the bands that I was really liking at the time, whether it was the James Addictions or you know the stuff that was blowing up, or the Super Chunks of the World, or whatever, they weren't playing at the Ranch Bowl, right? And they were they weren't playing the Cog Factory either. Um, the Cog Factory was sort of its, its heyday was you know while I was at school, and then as I came back, and it sort of faded a little bit after I got back. We sure. did some late shows at the Cog Factory once Rob had you know with with Rob, but then with the people that had taken over after that. So for context too, for people who are not from Omaha, Cog Factory is a is a legacy venue here in the city that used to host bands of all genres that have now gone on to really do some crazy shit. I mean, you talk about Bright Eyes, Cursive. I mean, we talked about Terror earlier. I know they've played there several times. Yeah. Uh, Hate Breed. I mean, you can go down the list of hardcore. We did bands a handful of shows yeah. there. I mean, we didn't do a ton. It was already sort of you know Rob was leaving, and it was already sort of new people. It wasn't the same thing. The neighborhood was always a crazy dynamic. Um, and then, you know, so, and then Sokol Underground came around where they built a stage and, and so we started using that. We were probably in a, in a, in many ways responsible for a lot of the movement away from the Cog Factory, not necessarily on purpose, but it was just like we had another place. Inadvertently. You know, we were trying to do shows at the Ranch Bowl, but they really didn't give a shit who we were at the time. 
Um, and we found Silk Underground and built it into something, you know, to for real, you know, post about, you know, 2002 when we came back and did it. Because we did a couple waves. Yeah, right. I mean... Did you ever like play in bands or anything? Like up to this point, I think most of our guests have either been like an artist or somebody at some point like played in a shitty band and was like, wow, this isn't for me, but I want the music still. Like, how did you get drawn in? Or was I mean, it just I going played the drums when I was younger. I played the drum I, I, from like probably, I think I started playing in like sixth grade, so in elementary school. And I played the drums and did like the schools, like the jazz band through school and the orchestra. And I even tried marching band in ninth grade. Then I realized that marching band was not cool. <laughs> and, and, and I got out of the band sort of scenario. I sold my drums when I turned 16 and bought a car stereo and kind of never looked back. Uh, I wasn't necessarily a terrible drummer. I wasn't a good drummer by any means, though. That was sort of a little bit of an introduction. My brother played guitar and I played the drums, and, but I wasn't that great. So, at least, at least there, it- there were people in, that went to high school with me that are still drummers in current bands here. Um, that are fuck like you know Paul Weekland who's sure. in yeah, yeah. Uh, what Grand Theft Girlfriend and a bunch uh-huh. of I mean that was the guy that he was two years older than me so he was who I was watching and they were so much better than me that it was very discouraging. Dude, at least your mom let Relatable. you play drums. I asked my mom to play drums when I was like in high school. She was like, no. They regret that decision for yeah. sure. Well, <laughs> um, but yeah, mom, yeah. if you listen to this, I'm I still, didn't practice I'm enough, mad. so that's probably why I never got good. And and they didn't. So if I didn't practice, they didn't have to hear it. You know. Oh, well, that's perfect. You just yeah. got a pretty drum set to look at in the house. <laughs> so I guess I'm I'm missing where you 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 know you uh, went to shows and stuff in high school. You went to college for computer systems. Where did booking shows get into that? Did I mean, you in, ever tour or anything? Or no, I never. Just... I mean, in college, I was just like I said, you know, I, I could see all these shows. I was seeing gap. Jesus Lizard for free and Super Chunk and Polvo and all, you know, all these amazing indie bands at the time. <clears throat> they were all playing a venue that was, it was, you know, emo shows at the time. They're now real prices and they moved. But at the time it was $5 or free if you're under, if you're over 21. And there's legendary shows that I saw there, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, but I mean, I was always... You know, music was was, was was my thing, but I was going to show right. a lot of the shows I went to by myself in Austin because I didn't know people who liked like-minded music. It was still pretty underground. Hey, man, going to shows by yourself is not a bad thing. No. I, and, I, and I, I love going to a show by if myself. If you like the band and you want to see them, then, then you go. And oh, so, you know, you know, and so, uh, I, but I would come home every summer, even from school, I would come home, come back to Omaha and I'd spend the summer here and there was, there was not, the bands I would see wouldn't, wouldn't play here. Um, we would drive to Lawrence and we would go, I would remember driving to Lawrence to see Wilco or to see Ween or to see, you know, whatever pavement and all these kind of bands. What venues were you going to in Lawrence at that time? Bottleneck. Yeah. Say, that was bottleneck, bottleneck and the same yeah. ones that we got Granada, to. Granada, Liberty Hall, the same ones dude, that are there it's now. It's been the same. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Lawrence is, <laughs> dude, I don't mean to side, I don't mean to derailed this here but Lawrence is literally one of my favorite places to go and, see you know, so it I, is low key one of the best markets in the Midwest for and Mammoth Mammoth Productions someone that we're both yep. pretty in tune with they do a great job of, of keeping those venues like current and like good stuff coming in there we have gone to so many shows of the bottleneck that have been that have stuck out in my mind and probably some of the best shows that I've ever been oh, to yeah. I imagine in the bigger picture, we, you know, there was a, there's a large contingency of people, I think, 20, you know, my age and a little bit older who used to always drive to Lawrence for shows. I don't think the current people do that very often. Well, you know, we I started think, booking better shows. I'm yeah, not saying yeah. that Lawrence no, no, still I have mean, a leg up you, on us in some way. You brought but. some good stuff into town that they were probably <laughs> getting at that time. You know, Lawrence and Omaha, it's either Lawrence and Omaha or Lawrence and Des Moines. You yeah, know? it kind of mm-hmm. rotates now where like. If, if, like, the tour went to Lawrence last time, they'll hit Omaha this sure. time. So it's more so like, oh, if you want to catch them twice in a year, you go to Lawrence to see the other leg yeah. of the tour. Right? But it was really just, you know, it was a matter of the bands we like weren't playing here. And we finally found a place that they could play. And so... Which, which was, was? Which was Soko Underground. Okay. 
Um, we still, you know, we still couldn't book anything into the Ranch Bowl. They wanted too much money. This was before the music box, which is already gone. I don't even know if you know the music box. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we found a place to do our shows cheaply. And Sokol was our home for a long time until the waiting room came around. Yeah. I mean, so this was just friends booking shows to get the bands that they wanted to see. This was literally yeah, our humble like, beginnings yeah, like as well. It's like correct. We it's like a control jobs. C, control V type situation here. It's very much a copy yeah. and paste. I mean, I, I, I had a day job working for Homers at the time. And then later on, I worked for, you know, I had a job where I worked from home. Jim's done auto body stuff since he was in high school. And so he, he was oh, always yeah. on, the, on, the, on, the, on the car side. And we did our day jobs and ran shows at night. I ran, I actually ran into a girl the other night. Didn't, hadn't seen her in like you know, 15 years. And she's like, someone introduced us. Like, oh, do you know Jen? I'm like, I know Jen. And, she, and they're like, she's like, yeah. Mark used to stamp my hand a ton back in the day until go underground. I was like, it's, we we ran the door at our own shows. Yeah, right. And ran our own shows and we're there for a long time. And yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. It didn't seem like work. We liked it. Yeah. You know. Did you feel like a calling to like help the Omaha music scene? Like you talk. I mean, you seem very passionate about coming back home and like having like that thought of like, Hey, like we could do this here. You know, I, mean, I thought, you know, I, I had, I had, I just, I just liked the bands and, and I wasn't in the, I wasn't in the indie. I love indie rock, but I wasn't in the indie rock. Like it has to stay small. Like I wanted more people to like the music that I liked. Cause I thought it was that good. You had a hell so of a it, platform here for, <clears throat> for that type of music. You know? Right. So, so, so we had people who, you know, uh, we, we just thought like, you know, it was a combination of a calling and I thought there was an opportunity. It's like, you know, I couldn't, there were several times in the last 20 years I've, had, I've almost moved to Portland, say, let's say, for example. Sure. I've flown out there twice, looked around, and came back, being like, I can't afford to live here or whatever. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> says, and, any person, and already, says any person from the Midwest like, that there, goes yeah. to the West Coast. <laughs> and there were already people doing what I was doing. There wasn't anybody doing what I was doing in Omaha. There wasn't anyone right. trying to book cool shows. It was the Ranch Bowl, and that was it. And there was the Cog Factory, but it was different. You know, that if, you, if you wanted someone to sign a contract for you, Good luck. You're not going, you're playing the Cog Factory through 1%, I guess, but yeah. you know, we, we were hesitant on doing that. I wasn't putting up real money. Sure. You know? Yeah. So, what was like the first notable show you remember booking? Was it like crazy for you? Was it like kind of a almost imposter sin? Like, I, I, I'm trying to remember our first band that we were like, oh, we have no business booking this band, but I don't know. Maybe that like Evergreen Terrace tour was like one of the bigger things. I mean, we, we got, we are really, really lucky. Our first show was Ani DeFranco. Uh, sold out upstairs in the auditorium. Damn. Connie? <clears throat> Ani DeFranco. Wow. Um, this was 1997. Wow. And we, our friend Ariane Anderson, had booked her at some lesbian bookstore or whatever. And sure. so she, then Ani was blowing up. She was looking to do another show. She wanted to do So Cool. She didn't have any money. The, it, it, was, it, was it was going up to the next level. So they put me on the phone with her agent. Her agent was really cool, this guy, Jim Fleming, and he explained to me how the industry worked, how the contracts worked, how, what kind of deal structure is going to be, and basically wrote my offer for me. <laughs> Booked the show. We, Jim and I each borrowed money from our families to, 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 to be able to, to, to put up this show. She was on the cover of Spin Magazine two weeks after we booked it, and wow. it, was, it was solid. Um, and so we had a little bit of cash made, made from that show that we then lost on the next probably five, ten shows. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. All at Soko Underground and in, and, 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 and at the Cog Factory. You're describing my entire career in college. Right. right. <laughs> and so, you know, um, that, that, it was a very big deal. <clears throat> you know, other bands that we booked in what I would call round one. Um, you know, we had 1997 was our first show, but then I left um, and we 1% stopped from like late 2000 to late 2001, where I moved to North Carolina for a job and kind of gave up on the shows and was just like, you was know, it an IT, it. was it like an IT it job? It was an IT job yeah. that I got moved for. Yeah. 
Um, and, um, but I came back like 10 months later cause I wanted to book shows while I was down there. All of a sudden I saw this band of my friends come through and play the good life came through town, stayed oh, at my yeah. house. And I was like, wow, this is real for some people. Like these bands are on the road and people yeah. like, I went to their show and people came out. I didn't know that anyone would know them in sure, Omaha. Yeah, I would yeah. know them in, I was in Chapel Hill. Uh, I just, and it was just, it was cool. So, um, but in round one, we had, you know, we had the Jayhawks, which we were big fans of. We had Built a Spill, which we were big fans of. We got to buy Voices, which we were big fans yeah, of. Yeah, like, yeah, it's still two bands that are still, and you guys still have, crushing it. And I think this is telling of your brand. You still have rapport with all these bands. Like when they come through, you guys are still the ones booking these bands when they come through. For only. the most part. I mean, once in a while, there's yeah. an example of someone who, who, you know, who we lost touch with. But yeah, I mean, we try and, and, and keep the history and keep, you know, we, we, most of the, especially back in the day, everything we booked, we liked. Um, I can't 100% say that right now. I don't. No offense to some of the bands. Hey, man, there's that's, bands that's I don't even business. know what they sound like. But I mean, we're trying, and it, you know, it's a little hard as you get older to like every single band. But it's, dude, the parallels between our stories are crazy. Because the next question that I had on this was like, did you book your first couple shows with like no money in your pocket, like I did? Because I was so so fucking broke. I mean, I was in fucking high school when I started booking shows, and like I had no money. I, I like I think I've told the story on, on the first podcast that we did for for this uh, for this podcast, but like. You know, I worked a job at Wheatfields here in the city to like be able to afford to bring bands to town, and right. like I was losing money left and right. I mean, some of those losses were just fucking devastating. You know, like in college when I didn't have enough money to like go get food and shit. It's like it's not like I couldn't hit my parents up for money, but my parents I mean, were we like, were, "Don't come to me for money when this fails." You know, like I couldn't go to them out of pride. We were picky. I mean, you know, we we believed in the stuff we believed in. I mean, I, you know, I. I was just going for shit that I liked back in the day. There's a lot of stuff in this business that's like, you know, some of these agents are used car salesmen and they are selling you stuff. And if you're, <laughs> yep. a, if you're a super fan, you can kind of get ripped off sometimes because oh, you have, oh, you, yeah. oh man, I love this band. They're going to do 500 people. Well, they did too. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and. They did 25. <laughs> sort of realizing what, you know, Omaha crowds do, what, what's realistic and getting people to understand once they, once Omaha and Nebraska in general stop being flyover country. Uh, you're stopping here. We get you something. We're not going to get you the money you're getting in Denver, in Chicago, in Kansas City, whatever. But we can get you some. We're going to put you on a decent show. And you know, but the crowds are smaller. You're not. If you're playing to a thousand people in Chicago, you're playing to like three, four hundred people in Omaha. Yeah, and that's the common misconception that I think have people have when they expect like a like you know if if one of their peers has a big show here, it's not because like that that genre does well here. It's because they built themselves here and they have that following. And dude, I've seen. And we had it even worse when, when in the the biggest heyday of like the faint and cursive and bright eyes, sure. it was oh, so this is Omaha, home of Saddle Creek. Our indie show is going to be huge. It's like not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool scene. It's a very tight knit yeah. scene, but it wasn't like it was massive. Yeah, and you we'll, know? we'll get into talking about some of that Saddle Creek stuff here in a minute. But <laughs> okay. I mean, when when did you start teaming up with Jim? I mean, like from the start. But I mean, were you always like a duo like me and Tommy were? I mean, me and Tommy and Ryan. I Ryan, mean, do, Ryan doesn't do much with us anymore, but he's looking at me like I'm a I'm, Jim like a was Jamuk in right now, for but. the first probably four or five shows. So this would have yeah. been like 1997, some 1998. By the end of 1998, Jim had already quit. Um, he was sick of me for the most part. <laughs> and me and Ryan had a falling out like that once. <laughs> Um, and then I ran, most of the shows I ran were either, if there was a guarantee, it was a 1% production and I, and I put up the money. If it was a bro deal, it was used typically through either Rob Nanzel or Roger Lewis. And we would partner on these shows at Soko Underground and, yeah. and, and put like, you know, like Death Cab is a good example. That was like literally like a handshake deal that Rob negotiated that we, that we did some of those That's early shows. That's fucking nuts. And dude. so we were partners on that stuff for a while. Sure. Then, like I said, then I left. 
Um, I was a little, you know, a little bit disillusioned. We never hadn't turned into much. I was just like you. I wasn't making any money doing it, yeah, you know. Fuck you. Um, but when then Jim, you know, when similar in college where he came down to Austin and was like, you know, you should come back here and we should book shows. This time he was, you know, I was in North Carolina and he came down with his then girlfriend. I don't know which girlfriend that was, but anyway, <laughs> uh, maybe it was a long time ago. <laughs> he came down to North Carolina to see Monty Prince Billy. And he came like, down like that's a like a, there's a small trip to to do for Nebraska. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's not. That's, well, that's he like, came down to see a show and to convince me to come back. Oh, that's of so like sick. you know, yes, there's there, there's you know this all these Omaha bands, these Saddle Creek bands are blowing up. Um, it's a bigger scene here. We should still do something. And I went to to my bosses and I was working for IBM at the time actually and I went there huh. and I'm like I'm leaving uh, you know, they, <laughs> sorry they liked me and they were like well what you know I'm like I'm going back to Nebraska like this isn't my yeah. pace like Chapel Hill was slow I thought yeah. it's a cool town but it, after living in Austin I was like this is slow Austin yeah um and uh, Omaha compares to Austin on that level no, no, no. But I mean, if I wasn't going to live in Austin, then why would I want to live? Yeah, in sure. Like, no, I, I feel that. I can I build that. our own thing in in, yeah. in Omaha. And I'd met uh, Frank, the owner of Cat's Cradle in Chapel Hill, and he'd show me a bunch of stuff and kind of encouraged me to go back and rebook shows again. I met the uh, the guy who we dealt we're dealing with from Etix. Um, I met him. I was his first client. He's now vice president of the company. Shout um, out so Etix, man. They, yeah. they've always been super straight shooters. So he met man. some people down there. And, and I came back and, and we sort of put it in a high gear. We went from doing one show every couple of months to probably, you know, 10 shows a month to 20 shows a month. And we were at probably 20 shows a month once we got to 2007 when Waiting Room opened. Jesus. Yeah, I remember when that happened too, man. I remember, I remember coming to my first show here and being like, they're going to renovate this place eventually. Like, there's no way it stays in the oh, current yeah. state. Oh, yeah. You, you, like, walked in and you were like, what's that wall for? Yeah. And, like, you know, yeah. it was yeah. just kind of yeah. I mean, I, that, that was a means to, you know, we, we looked for a long time for a venue, and we were looking for something that was cheap and something that we could have, because we knew just, like, from you talking about with being broken in school, but these, these shows are not this cash windfall that everyone yeah. thinks that, that, no. that, that you're making. And so we didn't want to go and, you know, like do what Slowdown did, which is eventually with new construction and go and borrow, you know, f tens of millions of dollars. We opened the waiting room with a tiny loan and, you know, and then slowly fix it up over time. Yeah, and that's the next point we were going to make. Like a lot of people we've had on this podcast, you guys are very much a DIY operation, even though you have a little bit more money to play with than a lot of DIY operations. I like to think so. I mean, I was just talking about that with someone else where, you know, it's unfortunately, once you've been doing this for 20 years, it's kind of hard. No one believes you that you're DIY anymore. You're kind of the establishment. And I don't want to be the establishment, but uh, maybe if, if it's not as lame to be the establishment, then I guess we can be the establishment. But Dude, honestly, like, <clears throat> the more I grow up and the more that I understand about the music industry as a whole, like, you're not the establishment. Very <laughs> you know much. I mean? and, like, and I don't, they're, I don't they're, truly believe we are either. I think no. we do things differently than people. I think it is still DIY. Mm -hmm. I think we have, you know, we run into other promoters in this, in this business. And some, in many cases, I think we do better business than them or we're better people or whatever. You know, we still try and have some ethics. It's a hard business to have ethics in. Oh yeah. And I think, know? I think it's, it's, you know, from the passionate scenes that we all come from, I mean, you come from like the indie scene, indie rock scene, we come from like the hardcore metal scene, which are also really passionate about, about music and like the art as a whole. And like when you throw money into the equation, you start to like get into this conversation about like, are, are, is this person really doing it for the sake of art or are they doing it because they want to make money? And like the hard reality that like you face when you grow up is like money is what makes the world turn. Like there has to be money in this for these 
people to come to town, for these venues to exist, for these large capacity venues to exist. It's just not it's not viable without making a profit. And, and like that's one it thing that took us that, 10 years to yeah, open up our own exactly, place. I mean, we, exactly. you know, we were, you know, we, it took us a while and it, it is, it was still a risk and obviously it's worked out for us. We've been able to build other venues and open up other things and, and it, but it was, it's not like there was a shoe in, you know, there's a very real chance we were going to, you know, we were also in Benson where nothing was. I never came to this part of town growing up. Fuck no. Um, when <laughs> yeah, we came and looked no at way. this building, um, the only reason I ever came to this part of town growing up in Omaha was because this was here. You know, it's not to say that I don't, I, I just didn't have any business down you know, This was D Dub's like, pub, which was a biker bar. Sure. And then it got sold to this woman, Marnie. So it was Marnie's place for a tiny amount of time. We came to see a show at Marnie's place because I'd never been in here and I wanted to check it out. Jim had been here because his dad was friends with the owners. He was in the biker scene. So we came in here and there's, you know, you've been in the entrance of the waiting room, but they had it split. If you are on a, if you had a motorcycle, you went in the left door. If you were an average person, you went in the right door and you had to pay cover. Right. Um, and we came and looked at this spot and the owner was evicting the bar that was there and the, the price was right. And we were like, fuck it. You know, um, Jim quit his job to be full time here. I coincidentally was told like maybe 20 days into the, right after we opened, I was told your position's being relocated to India. <laughs> and will you retrain your replacement? And I was like, no, it's Fuck cool. No. <laughs> and I was good done on that. after working for like six years from home where my bosses were in North Carolina. That was pretty awesome. Hell yeah. I um, mean, you know, I don't know if anybody ever saw me working the door at Soko Underground, but I always had Absolutely. a computer. And in many cases, that computer was online with IBM's little proprietary instant messenger. And I was working. <laughs> we did installs on Friday night for, <laughs> for our IT team. And I, and I would, we, we, it, was, it was a chat. With like 30 people throughout. There. I had people from China. I had people like all kinds of the whole India or the whole Dude, team. That's okay. That's you and Mark that, have too many similarities yeah, right now. Yeah. Austin will be like on the road when we're doing emo nights. Like if we're driving on a Thursday or Friday, everybody like, shut up. Yo, I got to drive. Like I got to be on work while we drive. Like if I get a call, everybody has to shut the hell up. And we'll yeah. be like mid conversation. Like, all right, stop, stop, stop. Get it, on the call. Went, do yeah. 10 minutes. These were yeah. scheduled things. I mean, we, I worked on a production team for part of IBM.com, like a business to business side. So there was, their window for when they were allowed to take down IBM worldwide for some of this stuff was like two in the morning China yeah, time or right, something like right. that. So we would do these installs. Coincidentally enough, it's like you know, 8, 8 p.m. our time. It was like <laughs> 8 o'clock. You know, so I'd sit at the door with this instant messenger <laughs> chat dinging. And, 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 and all my team did was prepare. We weren't actually the ones making changes. We prepared the instructions yeah. for the people that were changing the real world. Right. <clears throat> so I was only on this chat to make sure nothing broke. If it broke, well, I'd maybe have to do some work. If it didn't break, if we did our job well, I'd just sit there and, and, and run the show. And it would not be a big deal. But yeah, I was working all the time during that stuff. Crazy. Well, I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about what... <laughs> booking some of those Saddle Creek bands like we talked about. I mean, what was it like booking a lot of those bands? Like in the early 2000s, you know, everybody knows, anybody listening to this podcast probably knows that Omaha was like a, just like a hub for all of these great indie rock bands. We talk about Bright Eyes, Cursive, Despacitos. I mean, there's so many different bands that you could point to. Um, I mean, just talk a little bit about what it was like you know, kind of coming up with those bands and booking them from like a small, uh, you know, small, like 150 cap to like a huge, big ass room. Like, you know, you guys booked your first arena show in 2005 did. with, uh, did. uh, with bright eyes and faint. the faint. I was there. Tommy was there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of that connection came through Jim, Jim. I think his neighbor growing up was Todd Fink or Beckley at the time. Um, and he knew McGinn and he knew the curse of he knew all those bands as individuals before they were successful or in the slowdown Virginia days. I mean, I remember going to see slowdown Virginia play in Lincoln 
because some because you know friends knew new people so it was a much more of a friendship connection you know back then when it started and as these bands got bigger that was really helpful um the faint played probably 75 percent of our op- our first shows at at the cog factory they're almost, almost always on those shows yeah same with cursive um, you know, everybody and then, has their bands that they like to go to in their early days. It's like, Hey, I've got a show you're fucking playing. <laughs> and then, you know, they all knew Connor and he was younger. Yeah. And so, and I met Connor and we didn't do his shows at the cog factory, but we did his first, the first time I think he played Soulful underground was we asked him to play with a show it was really early back when 1% was sort of round two for the apples and stereo. Um, he was friends with one of the dudes in the apples and stereo and was like, you know, he was like, can you ask Connor about playing my show? So I asked Connor if he played the show and he said, fine. And he's like, but I don't, you know, I don't want any money, but I want you to put on these other two bands um, and pay them. And it was Rilo Kylie and Tilly, <laughs> and Tilly and the Wall. No shit. And we have that poster still oh, in our shit. office somewhere. And it was, you know, that's how, that's kind of my introduction. We also put him, I think it's one of the earlier shows we put Connor on a Built to Spill show. And that one he played, he brought up one of those changing, you know, one of those folding things you sit behind in a cha- and basically played behind it so no one could see him. Um, he was, you know, he wasn't, you know, a showman necessarily at the time. <laughs> um, and you know, we, we went into every, you know, Bright Eyes allowed us to go into every single theater in town. We did a first show, I did a did our first arena show with Connor. We did our first show at the Orpheum or at, uh, one of our early shows at the Holland Center. We did a show at the Rose. We did a show, I mean, anywhere we could. Um, and we just worked it out financially to make it work. I feel like I was at a lot of those shows. Just, like, I went to the Orpheum Bright Eyes show yep. like on where it was like David Dondero and Spoon. Yeah, that yep. one where he like ran across like the monitors, <laughs> tore down like a drum set. And I just remember like that was one of those early shows that like I remember he jumped up on the drum set, his cord wrapped around everything, so he didn't have wireless. He tore down like half the drum set, but it was the tour where they had two drummers, so it didn't really matter. Right. But like I remember all these stagehands running out and this drum set was back up in like thirty seconds. I remember <laughs> being like, Who the fuck are those guys? I was like in the middle school. It got saw, a like, little more professional over time. Oh, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, uh, but we did sh- you know, and Connor used to have his tour manager used to be uh Bill, I'm blanking on Bill's last name. Bill's he used to own like the four hundred club in uh he used to manage like the he used to tour manager replacements. He was fucking sure. crazy. Um, and so we had all, you know, there was a lot of parties on, on that tour and, and people had fun. Are you, um, are you still friends with Connor? We're still friends. I mean, we, you know, we, there was a, the incident with the show outside with the city basically making us shut our show down. It was, it was just a shitty time. He had just done a favor for us by playing the waiting rooms 10 year. And then we had to cancel that show in the street and he was, he, but he's never liked playing Omaha. I think he likes us, yeah, you know, sure, I, I, sure. I hope, Yeah. but he's never liked playing in Omaha. It's always like too much. There's too much family around. There's too many people are fucking noisy. When he played our ten year the waiting room oops sorry. When he played the waiting room's ten year anniversary show, it was the loudest crowd I've ever seen of Omaha people. They just won't shut up at shows. And so he just gets frustrated and so we haven't really I think he's played one show since then. He played at that uh, what's the 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 other theater um, Oh uh, Hargis's by by Hargis's thing. It's inside the uh, not the Rose. He played at uh, the Joslin Theater. Well, we did we we did that show or a was long that time before? ago. That was a long time before. No, it's some theater that I think is uh, the Hargis uh, Guitars. He moved to like kind of North O a little bit, but not really North O. It's like, not. I mean, we're in. I guess I can play. Oh shit! Yeah, what is the name? Yeah, I don't remember the name of the place, but that was Bemis? what. Bemis? No, it wasn't no. the Bemis because we did that. We 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 done those shoes those shows too. And we did a so cool. You know, we yeah. We, I mean, that's another. We we did you know, uh, Witherspoon Hall. 
which is where we did what would turned into Monsters of Folk. We basically did yeah. one of the first Monsters of Folk dates, which was, you know, Connor, Bright Eye, you know, Connor, M. Ward, and Jim James. Um, just lots of really, really cool stuff that we were able to be a part of. Anchor in stuff for, for Mystic Valley yeah. Band. <laughs> Anchor Anchor in is like is right up on the river for people not from Omaha. It's like a iconic place too. But okay, so let's talk about some bands that you've grown with over the years. Great okay. transition here. I mean as a promoter myself, I love to ask this question because I have like a list of bands that I love to book too. But I mean, uh, favorite band to work with? That's hard because it all kind of blurs together. Yeah. It blurs together and we've worked with a lot of good people. I mean, we've done, I mean, Built to Spill is the best probably example I can think of. Sure. We've done shows since round one of, of 1%. So it's like 1998 or 1999, yeah. I think was one of the, well, that might've been the first show. I know we did a, I know we did a show when I was working for the dot com. So it would have been 2000. Sure. So we've been doing shows with them for 20 years, um, and you know we've had great experiences. I know, you know, I, I I think Doug remembers my name, which is cool, and um, you know, just it's just bands that we've worked with for that long. Uh, but there's a lot of them, and it's you know, it's just hard. It, there's bands we haven't worked with in forever that I think if we saw again, it'd be cool. But it's really hard to pick what's a favorite. I can, you know, I can remember it a little bit better now because we had that year and a half off. But in general, I barely remember what happened last week. <laughs> <laughs> we have too many. We have a lot of shows, and we're not running every single one anymore. I mean, there was a time where every single one percent show was run by either Jim or myself. And I re- five, yeah, I remember five that or six as a years kid. ago. We had to just, you know, Jim started having kids, and and I was I was along that path eventually sure. a little bit later. Yeah. And it was just like we got to get someone else. We can't be working every night, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and every day doing yeah. this. And so you know, it changed a little bit. So, do you have a favorite show you've ever booked? Now that you've had some time to reflect. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to you know. Fav- you know, I mean, I'm wearing the shirt for Neutral Milk Hotel. I'm Neutral Milk Hotel at Sokol, even though it was it was on the sort of the the comeback tour was yeah. not like in the heyday, but that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, no, it it it's really hard to say. I mean, we've had just so many cool shows uh, over the years. There's favorites here. There's favorites at Sogo Underground or Auditorium. Or what about and it's, least and it, it, favorite show? You're not allowed. It's also as you've been doing this long enough too. I'm sure you've seen too that the, what gets blurred together a little bit is favorite show versus you know we actually made money. Yeah, or right. favorite show that lost tons of money, yeah, or the yeah. you know worst show that also lost tons of money. See, there's it, there's it, a bunch the, of different yeah. variants. The money you blurs take together that. a little bit too. When yeah. it's your favorite band, which is not like every band can be my favorite band. Yeah, I don't remember whether we made money or whether we didn't. Yeah. But you know everything yeah. else, it's kind of you know it blurs together. And oh, did we lose? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know we as you guys did. I was we weren't booking shows to make money. We were booking shows to not lose. Sure, it's like yeah. going to the casino. It's like I really think I'm going to win at the casino, yeah, but I'd like to break in. Pushing is not losing. That's a perfect example because like when I go to the casino I'm just trying to get free drinks and it's much like the same thing like I'm just going for some free entertainment when I book a show when I used to, you know that was that's my mentality I when I first started I, I that's, that's myself, not how I am anymore as but. I've been doing this long enough I consider this business kind of professional gambling Yeah. and yeah. so I do have a gambling itch and I do like playing craps and I've been bummed the casino's been closed and now that it's the open the similarities again, between the two of us like literally wow. are shaking me to my core because yeah. I, I think if there's one thing that I could be addicted to it's definitely gambling it's definitely gambling and I don't know what that says about awesome. like my future career career aspirations. Well, similar shit. to what I said on the first show we ever did, we made money. The first time I ever gambled, I made money. I wish I wouldn't have, or I probably I wouldn't have got the I bug. Know. Same. Um, you know, it's just kind of you just get hooked on winning. Early on, again, when I first met Austin, like I think you were like freshly like nineteen or something, so you could do the, like the scratchy lottos. 
and you would go down to the gas station around the corner from the commons and get like 10 of these things yeah. before a show just be like, fuck, yeah. fuck. It's funny, it's funny down, that I'm you like, mentioned that because it wasn't just me. It was Ryan too. And he's sitting yeah. here with me. He's sitting here with us with a shit-eating grin like he wasn't a part of it. But we would, yeah, we would literally, I would make money on a show like maybe like a hundred bucks or something. I'm like, yo. Should we buy scratch off? Yeah, <laughs> like you would take you would take fifty bucks of this. And that was never me. I was already old enough, and the casinos opened up right as I got done with college. So the casino, I couldn't. When I was growing up, there weren't we casinos. Go when I was eighteen, nineteen, there been were us. no casinos here. Yeah. So the casinos opened up, and it was like, let's go to the casino. And Sokol was so fucking close to the casino. Is it right across close. the river? And so we went there way too much. Close. Um, from so is a soda slowdown. It's there. Mm-hmm. It should be illegal. <laughs> they shouldn't have music venues either. Because when I go to a show over at Stir, I'm like, all right, we're gonna go play some. We're gonna go play some blackjack for a couple yeah, hours. That's, that's why. That's how they get you. So I mean, let's talk about uh, let's talk about COVID for a second because I okay. know it's been crazy for just about every venue owner here in the states. I mean, if you have a pulse, I think you you're kind of in tune to what's what's been going on. But I mean, you own a couple of venues, such you know, like where we are right now, waiting room, reverb. You have a couple more venues on the way. One in La Vista that's going to be a huge indoor outdoor amphitheater, uh, hybrid type venue, and then one we'll talk about here in a minute. But um, I mean, you seem to build a really good foundation for the future, and it all really sucks. Because we've had like this really huge disaster last year, but let's talk about how hard the last year has been for someone like yourself. Because you own a lot of these venues, and you really depend on live music to be here and be thriving. You know, not only for your businesses, but for your own well-being too. And I mean, like I said, if you have a beating pulse, you know what's going on. Um, so let's talk about it. I mean, how right. hard has the last last year been for you and your business? I mean, you know, it's been a rough year, obviously. But I mean, you know, the, you know there's a couple things to keep in mind. Number one is, you know, we live in Nebraska. And within Nebraska, there's been a couple cool things that have happened for us. You know, we've got, we were able to get a grant from the Omaha Community Foundation, which took uh, CARES Act money that was allocated for, 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 you know, arts and humanity stuff that we got, we got grants from there. We got Nebraska Economic Development Grants. There was federal stuff for PPP. And, you know, unlike the, the most of the venues that you're going to see that have either not made it or aren't going to make it were because they don't own their own property and they got evicted for not paying rent. Well, we own our property. We can't get evicted. That's a big part of it. Um, we could continue to borrow money and borrow money to stay afloat to be able to be, to be back when shows are make, when are happening. We have applied for the whole Shuttered Venues Act thing, and that's, you know, supposedly money starts going out in the next couple of weeks. Fingers crossed. We're not, not only, not in only, the... Not only for you, but for a lot of... Yeah, for all the venues, venues out there. I mean, we're not in the first we'll tier. With. We're in the third tier, which is the last tier. I mean, the first tier is you lost 90% of your revenue. Second tier was 70% of your revenue. We lost about 55% of our revenue over the time period that they're looking at, which is Jesus still devastating man. for what we were doing. Dude, 50% of your revenue per year, I, I, that's still... But that's 50... It's not 90, that but it's still devastating. That's with the grants. We lost 55... We lost, you know, with all the grant money, that got us to 55%. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. we would have been in a higher category for yeah. sure. Um, so, you know, it's been a rough year, but it, you know, the, like I said before, the, 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 the future is bright. Um, people are starting to come back to shows. I think the artists are going out. I think the people are coming out. People get get fucking vaccinated, and it's gonna help us, you know, do more shows. It's crazy to examine like how far the goalpost has been pushed back for live music. I mean, consistently, it seems like things have just been so unpredictable. But I mean, when did you realize that like we were in for a really long battle? I mean, what was like the defining moment? Like, were you uh, sitting at your house like freaking out watching TV? Or I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, when you know, when the show started, you know, and everything that last week started canceling, it was like you know every. Our stuff for Thursday canceled. Then one of our show for the Friday canceled. This is all like March like 9, 10, 11, whatever. Then everything canceled for the weekend. 
then it was just every call was the same. You know, like, we're not hey, doing man, this. Sorry. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. Yeah. And every state was different, but we were seeing. You know, I think our last show, our real touring band was like Radkey, who played Reverb. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and, and we just sat there wandering along with everyone else. I mean, the whole country was like, what you know, what's ha- you know, what are we doing? When when is it? And we have no, you know, when Trump was in charge, you don't believe anything they tell you. And you can't, you know, uh, figure out what the real story is. And you're in Nebraska, which is already, a, you know, a red state with not really telling you much. And you just wing it. And, you know, we, we did partially reopen, uh, not Reaver, but on the waiting room side in like, you know, July or something like that. We were open for a couple months. We shut back down. Then we were open. Then we opened again. And yeah, it's hard when there's no one give you any real guidance. Um, well, you know, the, 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 the you messaging know. has just been so mixed, you know, and yeah. like, I'm not trying it's not to be like, mixed. A, it's, it's, it's terrible. I mean, I, you yeah. know, I was telling someone else the other day, I mean, I, this could, you know, if we didn't have Trump as president not at all about Trump, but you know, it's, this could have been flipped. It could have very easily been, you know, wear a mask and make COVID go away to be American. This is what Americans do. We fight this. You can even be a racist and call it the China virus. Force. And you can say, yeah. you know, we, you know, we, we can, we can stop this, you know, yeah. just be American and, and wear your mask. But it got flipped into, you know, oh, it's a let's pretend it doesn't exist. Well, and for, it for someone existed who and it existed for our business, and we right. all saw our stuff shut yeah. down. And if you're in the, if you're in this industry that got closed, you know, maybe if you work at a grocery store, all you did was see your, your revenues go up because everyone's going to the grocery store. But right. if you work in our business, you know, yeah. it was real and it shut things down. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy for someone and I don't want to get a political here, but for someone that was so good at manipulating messages to like his base, you know, like it's like, do you want to save a couple hundred thousand lives here? Like no, he, he could easily make sure done the it, stock you know? market didn't go down. And, and <laughs> you know, that that was the main thing. So, so rich people can stay rich. I mean, that's, that's the world we live in, you know? Yeah, so throughout this time where you've been able to reopen without much guidance, like what were you doing or what was waiting room doing to help? Yeah, I mean, when we first, first opened up, I think it was like July. We were, you know, the rules here were uh, six feet apart, no groups larger than, than four, and 25% capacity. So we opened the waiting room, was like 80 people. The tables were completely spread across the room. It was a terrible environment to, 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 you know, to see a show in. Then as, <laughs> the, as, as the restrictions started coming back, we went to what we've had for the last couple of months, which has just been, I kind of call you know comedy club style, full tables and chairs, not like just rows of chairs. And most of the shows were like that up until the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, we, we required masks even before there was a mask mandate. And, you know, we have plexiglass in places and we spray places and we got a sanitizer and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I was mostly worried about our staff. Um, you know, we didn't really have a breakout of much staff, which is good. And reverb was closed at the time because we were doing some renovation and also just cause we take those same restraints and make <laughs> reverb 25% capacity and spread people away it's across like 40 people. It, it, it's like 25 yeah. people. You know, it, really, it really doesn't work like financially for a show. So reverb kind of stayed closed and starting to get its feet back, you know, you know, uh, open again. And, um, it, it's just, you know, put on whatever people want to see. Um, you know, it's tough because it's not, you know, the waiting room, especially our bread and butter has always kind of been local music and that's always, we fill in the touring shows, but it's a local thing. And, um, there's only so many local bands you can put on though. Um, you know, without the the touring stuff to fill it in, you know, it seems like it's getting a little bit repetitive, but it's, you know, there's lots of bands that want to play. They're slowly getting back into it. There's still some that don't want to play. Yeah. There's still some events, you know, like stuff we've worked on that isn't going to come back till, you know, August or, you know, whatever. And. They, they all think it's fall, and right now in the last, you know, I've probably gotten more calls and emails on new shows in the last 10 days than I did in the last 100. Yeah. Um, everybody yeah. is realizing they should be out in fall. All the yeah. bands that are going out, their same managers are not making their other bands go out, and it's just like, everyone's like, yeah, let's go back out there, and 
everything's selling. Yeah. So all the shows yeah. look like they're going to do well. Yeah, and I feel comfortable saying it. I mean, Emo Night's going to be back in August. Like, we've got stuff on the books, like, unannounced. But, you know, it's... Yeah, things are trending towards the right the right direction. Yeah, we've been on the phone a lot lately. <laughs> mm-hmm. After not talking for like an entire year, like mm-hmm. I think uh, I think you could probably take a break from getting my calls amongst like everybody you know, everybody the, else's. But and, and the know. biggest part of the you know, the music industry is there's some shows that just aren't enjoyable in a seated, socially distant environment. Yeah. Emo nights are yeah. an example of that. <laughs> you don't go to see you know even though the you know there might be a stereotype on some of the emo kids being you know so, you know they might like socially distant they may not want to be super social <laughs> but not, not emo night you go out to have a good time and you go out to socialize with your friends yeah and, you know and then when we the country shows were working but like rap shows you can't see a rap show and sit down yeah. hardcore shows same thing metal <laughs> shows metal is Dude. not the sit on your chair and watch yeah. metal kind of vibe Dude, yeah you know we've had everybody got to see it from like the parents that went to the metal shows perspective of just sitting in the mm-hmm. back and being like well <laughs> this is it's funny that you it's funny that you mentioned that because i'm working at Shout out this uh, Red Flag, the venue that I'm working for in St. Louis now, doing security until things come back. But, like, that's pretty much what we have right now is, like, some metal bands playing to, like, parents and shit. You know, but, like, hey, I mean, they come to drink. They come to, like, see live music. They're here to support. So, I mean, it's... A big part of the waiting room specifically success really has been local music. And I'm not necessarily talking about all the Saddle Creek bands, even though that's been a big part of it. Right. Is we've had tribute bands or we've had local... There's, and there's been tons of great local bands that, have been, that can pack the club that never made it out of Omaha. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. like it never really worked for him. But, you know, we've had that over the years, but a lot of cities don't. I mean, like, you know, like the, you mentioned the Mammoth guys when we were talking about other stuff. Like, they don't book local music in Lawrence. They don't sure. book all local shows. Yeah. So what do they have now? They don't have much. Yeah. Um, same with some of the venues in Des Moines. They're starting to get into it, but they're doing, you know, original. We had a market of original local music for a long time here. Sure. It's, yeah. it's not at its highest point right now, meaning in terms of, like, you know, capacity and draw and what that scene does. But it's still there. There's still a lot of people that, that want to go see local original music here. And I don't think that's that common. Yeah, right. I mean, what do you think your biggest change in your job has been the last year? Um, I mean, change to the job is just like, you know, for, for, for a while, forcing myself to go in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there wasn't really that much to do. I mean, as the regular bars opened up, I mean, I have lots of day-to-day stuff. I'm actually the bookkeeper on a lot of shit. Sure. And, and I, you know, I do a lot of day-to-day stuff. Um, I mean, the, the, the change is, is figuring out, you know, is everybody guessing when it was going to come back? I mean, from a conversations in June oh, yeah. of last year, yeah. The, goal, the goalposts. We'll see moving. you in September, and then September, yeah, we'll see you in February, and then February, yeah, we'll see you in, in September again. And uh, well, we just, already have kept, shows that have pushed worse. off to next year. Yeah. And, uh, so you know, um, but it seems better now. I mean, you know, the, the numbers are actually, it's not people speculating it's going to get better while numbers are still going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Numbers are getting better, and so people's expectations are getting better. Right. Yeah, now there's finally more signs that we're moving in the right direction. Hard evidence is what we like to call Get that. Yeah. <laughs> do you think there's yes. going to be any lasting changes to the music industry moving forward from all of this? Like, do you think some of these restrictions are going to carry over through? I mean, because oh, it, was a, it I mean, was a devastating time for like the industry, and if there was any time for stuff to be reshaped, I feel like it was now, right? I mean, I think there's stuff like the industry, you know, there, there was, and there was a bunch of even federal stuff in a lot of states. There were grant money. There was grant money throwing around for people to replace things like HVAC to get better ventilation or touchless stuff for in, in a club. Like, so you don't have to use your cash and you, know, you can use a credit card and you don't even have to touch anything. There's some stuff like that where there's some touchless entry into places that I'm sure you're going to see pop up at stuff like the arenas um, when they come back. But lasting stuff, I mean, no, hopefully, hopefully it, you know, 
it, we hit our herd immunity or whatever we need to, and it goes away, and we don't ever talk about other than, do you remember fucking 2020 and how shitty that was? Yeah. We don't, you know, it, it, it's not going to change things dramatically. I mean, I hope if something ever comes like this again, maybe we'd have a better attitude towards masks. I don't know about everybody else, but I haven't gotten a cold this in the last year. I didn't get. We talked get about that this year. several times. It's amazing how no other illnesses were spread around. You yeah. know, what I mean, like you know, crazy. I haven't been. I haven't, yeah, no, we wow, talked about maybe the, those masks work. Yeah, our set, Ben was talking about it the other day how he, you know, he used to get sick all the time from all the bands coming through, and he would leave, reach under them to put microphones in. And dude. he's like, I haven't gotten sick in a year. It's fucking great. And I'm like, yeah, maybe your mask works. You know, dude, hundred percent. Like <laughs> I, we talk about that on the <clears throat> on the podcast all the time, but like this is the first year that I haven't been sick. Period in like at least five years. I've, you know, I haven't seen all the emo nights, but I've seen you at emo night, and I'm pretty sure you pass that microphone around like it's nobody's business. It's 100%. gross. 100%. I would never, you know, I'm not, you know, not that I don't trust you guys. I'm not necessarily touching my mouth to this microphone. If I was in any band ever, I, I know it's it's a hundred. I would, I would never, ever, ever use someone else's microphone. I would oh, spend dude, hundred bucks, mics? my own uh, fucking fifty-eight, and bring in your own microphone. Yeah, I mean, this it, was it, from when I did backup vocals as bassist. I didn't even fuck with it on backup vocals. Yeah, dude, Gross. It, <laughs> you bring up a really interesting point that, uh, honestly, the last couple of weeks that I've really been thinking about because crowd participation is such a huge part of what we do at Emo Night, and we really have to rethink that going forward because there, I mean, there's a lot of things that we have to rethink of uh, for our party going forward because it is such a crowd involved type event that if we take that away, it's going to more or less devastate some of what we're trying I don't to think do. It's not, you know, but I, I think, you know, there, there are ways that we can go about doing some of those same things more safely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's where my head is right now. I was trying to figure out where... I mean, it doesn't have to be emo night. If you're a singer in a band that, that tosses the microphone to the crowd 100%. and gets it back, you know, is that gone? I don't think that's gone. I think no. yeah. you get yourself vaccinated and you hope for the best. Is, is Frank Euro know. still going to spit a loogie on the crowd? Who knows? Like, is that stuff gone? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Do the ba- yeah the hardcore bands like to spit on your stage? Yeah, I don't know. Is that still a thing? May- maybe that'll go away. That's no kind of cool. Instead of a no stage <coughs> dive sign, there's just no spitting. I wish we could have a no spitting sign now. I don't understand the bands that spit it's your venue. the cables. And, yeah. I, Throw dude, it up, honestly, I, I, that, that, I think that, you hang a sign, they're going to spit more. That's you know, dude, honestly, I'm 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 guilty. Yeah, Ryan's mentioning like spitting water into the crowd. Like I'm totally oh. guilty of doing that here. So like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, dude, I mean, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be wild being back in that environment. Like, yeah. and just like trying to navigate what is going. I mean, like, obviously, like spitting water on people is not gonna be okay going forward. Like, I think people will. I mean, after this, I think people are really not gonna take kindly to something like that. So, it's something that you. That I'm not sure about. that's 100 percent true. I, yeah, think I mean, you pe- might be right. You might. I, I think some knows. people love it. Some it's, people it's do love unknown. it, and the people, people that are going it. out right, especially right now. <laughs> some people love taking my spit right to the, the face. Yeah, <laughs> the people that are going out don't give a shit. Like they they want things to be back to normal really really badly, and so they're willing to do whatever it takes and you know there's some people that we want to come out um you know that aren't coming out yet and we do need to make it safer for them and whatever and don't you know don't don't spit water on those people but you know in general the people coming out they want it to be they they want you to do the exact same thing you did before i mean we all want to be entertained right now so like i totally get that yeah yeah all right. Well, to wrap up that last section, get your fucking shot so we can all do what we want to do. Yeah. We're coming up on the one hour mark. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. We got one more question and then we're going to do some more or one more section. Then we're going to do some quick headers. Uh, we want to talk about your new project. Um, Sokol Auditorium and Underground. We can hopefully finally talk about it. Yeah. You guys have taken it over with a, a few other partners. It sounds yeah. like literally one of I, not just my, but I think Austin and I's favorite venues in the city. Um, and we might get flack for that, but it's 
what band have you not seen at Sokol either above ground or underground? I mean, every memory I've seen the faint bright eyes every omaha band terror fucking cake uh i've seen you know, more just, hardcore shows in the underground that have that literally stick into my mind i have dreams about them sometimes like yeah I'm, i mean like you laugh but like it's, yeah. it's the fucking truth dude like and i grew up like the first show that i ever went to at underground was like a norma jean show and like i remember going there and like you could smoke in there at the time oh yeah <laughs> and i remember smoke going there smoke hall dude <laughs> yeah. I, I was like yeah i was like 15 so i don't think i was puffing quite yet but like i don't know for reference i don't smoke cigarettes now but <laughs> it's a uh, man just a fucking iconic venue here in the city and at the beginning of the pandemic, personally, I was worried about it. I mean, Sokol's that the was place the that's place. always kind yeah. of been, you know, they rarely book shows. They kind of, you know, they could do whatever they wanted. First a place bit in my mind. It, but so, I mean, look, a, Sokol is, is a dream come true for us. Yeah. That's where we did our first show that was our home for a long time. Um, and But it had sort of not fallen out of favor, but it wasn't where all the shows were happening. The underground was barely active. Come on, the, Mark. The it, it had fallen out of favor in some in some It had circles. fallen out of favor <laughs> with, with, with promoters, for sure. Absolutely. Is we were tired of putting bands in a room that didn't have good production and didn't have good amenities and didn't have the things that they wanted to see at that level. Um, and so, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, they... They, they received an unsolicited offer and then approached us being like, you know what, we're considering this unsolicited offer. You guys should make an offer. We're, they, they looked at us as sort of stewards of the building that we would be the people that would keep as much of it as possible. Do you feel comfortable um, saying who the unsolicited offer was from? I, they never even told us who the unsolicited I bet offer you, was. I bet you 400 bucks it was AEG or it, Live Nation. It was not. I mean, I know who it wasn't. More than I know who it was, <laughs> because that's what our panic mode was. You know how you know we were in the middle of this process for La Vista and and the Astro Theater out there, and then it was it just kind of plopped into our lap, and we sort of had to do it, and so we put together a team, uh, and the Mammoth guys are our partner as well, and so we bought the building, we do own we have possession of it. It closed like about a month and a half ago. We're starting to do some demo, and we're gonna we're gonna rock that place. It's gonna be awesome when we're done. It's going to have, you know, the, we, we can fix a lot of the, pro, you know, a lot of the problems with the place from an artist's perspective and from a, from a customer's perspective. We can't really fix parking. Um, but everything else we can kind of fix. We can fix that the lines were too long for the bathrooms. We can fix the line for the, we can fix the bathrooms. So they're all getting redone. They're going to be handicap accessible. They're going to be double the amount of bathrooms. We can fix Amazing. the fact that they didn't have real air conditioning. It had a forced air unit in the auditorium and a crappy air conditioner in the basement. We can put all new HVAC in. We can fix the fact that, you know, I worked a show at Soko Auditorium and a sandbag fell out of the ceiling on this, on, in the, some of the rigging. Yeah. And luckily didn't hit someone in the head, but it was like, you know. that. Why the fuck is there a sandbag in 2000, whatever that probably was? Way better sound and lights with the, with the sound flown. We're building a VIP area. We're building a much bigger bar. I mean, the lines were, you know, there were lines for the bathroom. There were lines for the bar. The bar had crappy stuff. Um, it didn't sound great. It didn't look great. Um, but it was the biggest stage that we have in the area for that size club. And at it, at and, your disposal. And, and it's, a, you know, it's, it's an amazing building that just never got any love because it was, never, it was always a multifunction facility. It was never really designed to be just a music venue. Right. And we're going to fix that. It's going to still work for meetings and for, for weddings and all that kind of stuff. I was going to say, you're going to keep the weddings. Hopefully they won't smell as it's much not, like feet, Not only the but weddings, but the it's gonna kin smell, It's going to smell awesome. Quinceaneras and, and yeah, weddings dude. and all kinds. Of, we're going to keep all that stuff. I think it's going to still work really well for that. We do want, you know, it is, you know, that used to be the Czech part of town. It's not really the Czech part of town anymore. But we're going to try and do those kind of areas. We'd like to have some of the Hispanic dances and, and, and all kinds of stuff there. It's fucking awesome. You dude. know, the building will work for that, and we want to be part of the community and want them to, to like us 
you know, it's part of why the Sokol people trusted us to be good stewards of the building and try and, you know, take it over. So we're not allowed to keep the name. They won't allow us to keep the name. We're turning the name. It's going to be now the Admiral Theater uh, after the old uh, Midtown uh, movie theater that used to be here in town. And the, we're going to be doing demo and a ton of construction over the next like eight months. And we're likely open in February or March of next year. So what would you say to people that are skeptical about you guys coming in there, changing the name and like kind of taking this huge piece of like Omaha music history and nostalgia that has been a cornerstone for a lot? I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot of great things to come to this. But what would you say to people that are skeptical about you taking it over? I hope most of them realize that it's better than it getting turned into a, you know, a Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that, which is what could go on the corner. You know, Sokol was really worried and that they were selling it for a scenario that was going to be someone who demoed the building. Oh. And that was a big part of it is that we were planning on keeping it. We want to keep as much of stuff as possible. Now, unfortunately, it's unlikely the underground will continue as a venue. We're going to probably gut that and turn it into something else. And that's ironic that it was our home for the, for the <laughs> we were the kind of, I mean, Jim was part of the team that built that stage. Crazy. Um, and so it, it was kind of our home, but we're going to be the ones that kind of tear it apart and do something cool down there. Uh, I mean, we hope to have another business down there, a different bar. And the whole area is kind of taken off. It's got a different vibe. And, you know, the amount of money we're going to spend putting into the building, I think people will, we're, they're going to be really happy. If you can go attend a show at Sokol and you can not wait in line to get in, not wait in line for the bathroom, not wait in line for a drink, um, I think, and, and, you know, and it sound tremendously better. I think people are going to really be blown away. Yeah, a much more seamless uh, experience for everyone involved, it sounds I, like, yeah. both front so. of house and back of house. I hope so. Nice. I mean, we're building and we're doing everything from dressing rooms to a VIP area to double the bathrooms to an elevator in the building. I mean, it is the least handicap accessible building you will ever see. <laughs> yeah. We're having to fix all kinds of stuff. And apparently putting an elevator in a building is a big deal. That's been quite an ordeal for us to get, you know, permitted and all that kind of stuff. And uh, architects and this is not you know not how we've done things in the past but I mean I think people should feel pretty confident that it, the concerts will come back to Sokol yeah. um, and it's a much more enjoy it's going to be a much more enjoyable place to see a show yeah and I think people need to realize too that <clears throat> not only is that area being revitalized but Little Bohemia just mm -hmm. three four blocks down the street has nightlife now you can walk down safely. I mean, you know, it's it's not to say that that area has always been unsafe, but you know, I mean, we've had our own experiences. And specifically with the auditorium, in between you know. Mammoth or the companies that Mammoth was before, or whatever, whether it was Avalanche or you know House of Blues or whatever sure. it was. Um, I mean, in between Mammoth and One Percent, we've done probably ninety percent of every show in that room for uh, twenty years. Sure. There's random other people that come in. AEG is coming a couple of times. Live Nation's coming a couple of times. There's random people. We've gone in there know. quite. A, we've gone okay. into underground well, quite, no, not, quite a bit. I'm, I'm not an auditorium. Yeah, but you know more of the auditorium. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Um, and so, uh, you know, most people. It's kind of like, you know, how many people? All the shows that happen at CHI. How many people? Most of the people in town think Mecca books it. Mecca doesn't book any shows. Yeah, uh, right. it's booked by Live Nation or AEG. Almost yep. all of them. Right. But most people don't care who's putting on a show at that level, and I don't think they really care who's putting it on at Sokol either. If the bands come through that they want to see, whether it's our name on it or someone else's, and we're not going to close the room up. Right. If Live Nation wants to come in and rent the Admiral. Fucking great. Let's do it. You Let's know, run some you, business. You, you can do it. You know, and same with AEG and, and everybody else, and and you know, it's uh, but it's it's going to be awesome. We're, we're we're super excited. The plans look really cool. Um, and, uh, and it's a big deal. I think yeah, we're both so stoked to see it and hopefully get to 
play a show there or something and do something awesome there and be a part yeah. of it. Yeah, I think we've we've already we, me and Mark have already had some discussions of what we could do in terms of like theme parties and like. Well, you know, I, and I stuff. made the, I Not, called without Jim, giving it away, but you know, Jim's kind of in charge of most of the most of the construction stuff, and I called Jim and I'm like, "What are the odds of New Year's for this this year?" <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "Fucking nothing." <laughs> like, you know, we'll be lucky if we hit Feb one. And, you know, is, is now it's more like, you know, late March or late February is where, is where I think we're going to be at. But I want to, you know, the odds of us doing an emo night in New Sokol or in the Admiral is very, very high. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would bet on it probably happening at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what does this room provide to Omaha? I mean, when it's done and ready to go, I mean, was Omaha in need of a bigger room for touring acts that have outgrown uh, the waiting room, for instance. I mean, you guys have a great platform here, and I've always really loved this about you guys because you think ahead and like in the sense that like you're building venues here in the city where people can start at Reverb, they can go to the waiting room, and now they can go to like the Admiral, which is yeah. going to be a huge. It's like a three step process. Like we've been with you at like a, a like you know more or less a 200 cap, and then like you know a, a 500 cap or a 450 cap or you know whatever the waiting room is built at, and then like into the Admiral. I mean, what Wait. is We've not necessarily been the promoter that wanted to go do multiple markets, even though that's what most of the people in our position do. We wanted to just stay and build multiple venues in the same town. Um, and so, yeah, it is a natural progression for some, for some people. If they sell out the waiting room, they can go to Sokol. Sokol has always had a very unique, you know, at 1,400 capacity, it's always been a very, in a very unique position. These are bands that they're not superstars yet, but some of them are stars. Like some of them are legit stars and playing in front of 5,000 people in Chicago. Right. And they're playing to 1,400 people in Omaha. And so, the, you know, it's, and it's a lot of people who, they're not into clubs necessarily. They're not into underground music. That could be their first show. Now, my first show was at the arena with my mom, and that's a little bit different than someone who could, but they're, right. you know, I'm sure you could interview, you know, other kids, and they would tell you their first show was at Sokol, yeah. who were into music now, and, yeah. that, and that would be a lot of them. And so, um, if know, not, I, If not their first, one of their first. Oh, yeah, it know? was definitely like first five for me was. Yeah. You know, when there's, you know, the, we brought the killers into Sokol Auditorium, okay? Like when, they were, when, like, they were at their peak, too, you know? Like, yeah, and, and so, you know, there, there's stuff like that where it, fits, it feels a really nice niche. Um, in terms of size and you know in the current scenario there isn't really anything in that size in that in that sort of general admission style um Sokol's not a, you know it's it's not a theater <clears throat> and even though we're calling it the admiral theater it's really more just the admiral but i mean the admiral is not a seated venue we're gonna have some seated setups when we do it but it's a ga uh go have a good time you know venue and it's gonna stay that way. We're not, you know, rebuilding the the making it all of a sudden a seated, you sure, know, sure. hall. Dude, I think it's super exciting, man. Like we'll end we'll end it there for this topic. But man, I, I can't wait to get back into Sokol Auditorium. We'll try and get you a sneak peek as we get Dude, a little closer, you know. Yeah. I mean I'm so yes, please. right now you're not gonna see you're gonna see Sokol as a shell, but Sokol is always kind of a shell until we yeah. bring anything in. But it's a little more shellish. We've took out the PA's gone, yeah. tables and chairs are all gone. They're I not, think, you know. I think if you people, drive by, you see it fenced in. I think you know. I think it's going to be a whole new vibe. Like I said, you know, Little Bohemia is coming back with a vengeance. And, like, I can imagine going out to, like, a bar down in Little Bo and then, like, walking up to Sokol or, like, going to, like... Or the, the opposite. Yeah. You know? It's going to be... Yeah. yeah I, I, I can't wait to go experience Whatever that, that shitty block, bar is so. right next to Sokol. Um, what did we decide it was called? Uh, the... It used uh, to be the old Curtain Clyde. I Dude, I, ha- I literally had I th- the name of it. Uh, I thought we had the name of it. But then, brick house. Brick house. Brick there house. It is. Yeah. yeah brick no house. offense. Brick, don't go to the brick house because we want it to fail <laughs> so that we can buy it for some parking. Um, you know, because Sokol needs parking, and we don't need we don't need that crappy bar because you know what you can do is whatever we put in the basement, you can go there and have a drink before yeah, show, before for sure. seeing a show, dude. And I'm sorry to the brick house people, but it's just like you know, 
It'd make a really nice parking lot, dude. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> dude. I mean, it's just the way it is, man. I mean, that that bar's been there, and I, I it's changed ownerships a few times. So I know it's like, dude, it's just one of those legacy bars. Like, I mean, look, look, dude, my like, there's a lot of bands that went down there and drank. We took, you know, Mark Manor took, uh, uh fuck it, why am I blanking on her name? The the the, the movie star actress, uh, that played Soko Underground. I'm blanking on her name. Uh, she's now This Is Us. Mandy Moore. Oh, Mark Manor took Mandy. Okay. We did Mandy yeah. Moore in Soko Underground of I all fucking that, places. That which summer. was a horrible place yeah. for us to put her. Yeah. It was a terrible idea, but I think the waiting room was booked. And yeah. someone was like, We got to book. Well, Sokol, you know, that's where Bright Eyes used to play. Let's look <laughs> that's where Bright Eyes. We'll, we'll take so, Mandy Moore there. No worries. And we took Mandy Moore there. And Mark Manor took her for drinks. Like, not took her for drinks. He's yeah. not, you know, that's smooth right, or whatever. Sure, but sure. He, he was with a group <laughs> that went to have drinks with Mandy Moore at Curtain Clyde's yeah, of all places. Like, oh my God, you know? Uh, well, I mean, let's let's wrap up on this. I mean, you guys recently completed some renovations over at Reverb too, so let's talk about that for a minute. Um, the wall's gone. Tear yeah, down so that you, wall. Yeah, so you <laughs> tore down the wall between the bar and the showroom. I mean, talk about how excited you are, because I know you were a big advocate I'm of tearing pumped. down that I wall. I was the advocate. It's not that Jim didn't want to do it. He did. He just that was tear what, yeah. Down. Tear down that wall. Mikhail you know? Gorbachev. Yeah, Gorbachev. <laughs> tear down that wall. You know. It was, it, look, we believed in that idea when we built it. The idea was, you know, kind of. Uh, I remember the Omaha World the Capital Herald. style where you could come to the yeah. bar and have a drink and not have to pay cover. And if you want to go see the show, you go pay cover and you go in the other room. Yeah. But the, the bay is a little small. We ran out of space. It was a little bit claustrophobic when you were inside it. Um, we had some great shows there. It's Fucking sound, awesome you know, shows, dude. We but, had some great parties and um, shows in there. You know, when the band was playing, there was no one in the bar. Yeah. When the band finished, they flood out into the bar and just yeah. slam the bartenders with, "Can we get it? Can everyone, every single person here, get a drink in 15 minutes?" Yeah. And uh, it's just everything's going to be better. We doubled the sound, doubled the lights. It sounds better. It looks better. The room is fucking awesome. It already sounded great before. It sounds even better now. And uh, and the capacity has increased a little bit because we have to shove them into a tiny room. Yeah. And uh, I think people are going to really dig Reverb. So one last thing before we kind of wrap up and go to quick hitters here. You guys also are building a massive indoor-outdoor theater venue. The I, yeah, I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, but I mean, Astra. in La Vista. So talk about, just briefly kind of like mention that. And like La Vista's what the real. Are. I mean, it hasn't broken ground yet, but they keep saying any day now they're going to do it out there with a shovel digging something. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, look, we, we designed this from scratch, which is not necessarily our thing. Our thing has always been sort of renovation. Um, we designed this from scratch, and it's inside is spectacular. It is an amazing venue inside with with you know configurations for everything. It can be 100% seated. It can be 90% GA. The stage moves inside, so the venue can shrink. And then outside, on the outside of the building, is another stage. It's not the same stage. It flips open like a lot of the other places that are indoor outdoor. Um, all the amenities are shared, but the PA can come down and go put back up on the outside. And now it's 5,000 capacity outside where you're on an amphitheater and behind the amphitheater is this lake that's a city park. And the city of La Vista has been real supportive over the whole process. And, uh, it, you know, assuming it gets done, it's going to be great. We don't really have anything like it. I mean, you know, no offense to Stir Cove, but they're putting a stage on the side of their building where I can watch people in their stupid hotel room through the yeah, window. Right. And it's like, how annoying was that? <laughs> um, it's a real, we don't really have a real amphitheater here of that side. So it's going to be, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, and the theater itself is going to be amazing. The, the architects and, and Jim and the team that he put together really built a, a pretty awesome place. Hell yeah. That's sick. We're excited for that one as well. You guys sound like you have a couple of, uh, awesome openings. We're going to be busy apparently. And you know, someone I was talking to a Nate booking agent friend of mine and he's like, so you're, you know, 
I'm like, we're done. And I was talking to hey, Sokol's going to be awesome. I'm like, we're dumping millions. And he's like, you have money? And I'm like, well, they're giving us money. <laughs> the bank is loaning us some money, and they're cool with it. So obviously everybody believes it's going to come back. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, you know, we're investing into the future, and we hope it's going to come back even stronger, and we'll have lots of options for people. And yeah. uh, it's, it's going to be a little nuts. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, I think, I think we all welcome like, the craziness that's about yeah, when to is it not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when is it not? That's why we're here. And with e- especially, more, I mean, Sokol being renovated, is a little bit different, but the Astro is going to bring a different type of show here. Sokol oh, is yeah. going to make those Sokol shows better. Yeah. The Astro we don't have, and there's a lot of bands that are skipping the market because we don't have that particular sure. size, or they skip it on their way up. They go from, you know, I mean, we've had people that play the waiting room that now play arenas, whether it's Imagine Dragons or whatever, but, sure. you know, we yeah. they, now they have places to play in the middle. Macklemore yeah. is one you know, that Macklemore. I playing yeah. here, and then, like, the next year was in an arena. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wow, that was a jump. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's uh, Mark? Thanks for your time, man. This has been great. I've learned. Yeah, you know, I was curious what we we're going to talk about, and uh, you know, hopefully it was entertaining Dude, enough. Fuck you know? yeah, it was totally was. We we usually like to end these up with just a couple quick hitters. So we have some questions that are mostly food related because we're <laughs> okay. both. I mean, if you look at me and Tom, both we both love to eat. So okay, so let's uh, let's get in on it. Tom, go ahead and take the first two here, man. All right, on brand, like you said, food questions. What's your favorite place to eat in Omaha? And you got a few gems around here. Just yeah, I mean, blocks. let's separate it into what's your favorite place to eat in Omaha and what's your favorite place to eat in Benson, where we're currently at. Because when I come to a show and we play either an emo night here or we have like a band that we booked, I am always like, okay, what the fuck am I going to eat tonight? I have so many options. Well, it's changed over time, and we have places that have come and gone, unfortunately. I mean, like, you know, I really did like Lot 2 in the area before they disappeared. Oh, yeah. Super good. Um, underrated, and everything that's been underrated in that brunch. Every Every place I've been in that bay has been cool. Whether it was a deli that didn't last for very long, and now you know, and now Chingon, um, you know, Benson Brewery is great. Um, you know, there's there's definite good food in the area. You know, where where do I like? I mean, I you know, we're in the Midwest, so I want like a steak. I mean, I love you know going like a, a Jericho's kind of thing and getting prime ribs. I'm the old school. You know, where I even though I'm almost fifty now, like you know, I'm not the oldest. You know, I'm by far one of the youngest people in the places. You know, that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, but you know. Dude, places I, like that. I like Shucks a lot. I think they're really dude, good. I f- dude, yeah, Shucks is good too. For being in Nebraska, they have good seafood. I mean, we're nowhere near the coast, you know. I thought about this pretty hard today because I wanted to give an answer too from my, from my favorite Benson place. Dude, I think the place that I probably frequent the most, and shout out to him, Star Deli. Dude. I was going to say, Star dude, of all the good Deli. food, Jesus, you go really? to fucking Star dude, Deli. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, dude, I, I don't have the time for Star Deli. Like, yeah, you know? they take a fucking hour for <laughs> no, two no, no. sandwiches. No, sometimes we, we do it can it. take 10 minutes, but sometimes it'll take an yeah, hour. We, you know, oh, bro, we don't have turkey today <laughs> or whatever. You know, it's like the fucking sandwich we shop. We do it very strategically because when we load in here, I'm always like, okay, I'm getting orders. Who wants Star Deli? And I usually I mean, yeah. order it. It's like 45 minutes. Don't get me wrong. We support it. We support all the places. We give a nice list to all the bands of all the places to go eat. What type of food is it's not like you know hey don't go get they might have been they might be at a turkey that day we don't say don't go there but yeah i mean it's it, it's it's just a crapshoot kind of oh always always well what's a bucket list band that you hope to book before your career is over a bucket list band i don't know anymore you know and we booked up some of our bucket list band i was able to book jane's addiction finally that was a bucket bucket list band i don't know if we could do it again I would love to be involved in like a Radiohead show somewhere. Oh, yeah. uh, you know that'd be the, you know that that would be real cool. Um, I would imagine it's something probably geared towards like an arena show at this point, don't you think? Unfortunately, because it's gonna be someone who's around, yeah, around right, for that long. Right. But I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. It's hard to say. I mean, because because we booked you know we booked a lot of our bucket list bands. You know, at the right. time our bucket list band was Gotta Buy Voices. You know, <laughs> Gotta Buy Voices. The but you know it's not that the bar is low. It's just the stuff we liked. Yeah. Um. You know, if they ever came back again, I'd love to book a pavement date. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that could be pretty awesome. And there's more like reunions of things that are never going to happen. Like, you know, if the replacements play more shows, I'd love, love to book a replacement state. But they're more impractical things. Like, yeah. I'm not saying someone who's dead. Sure. But, I mean, they're more like they're not playing anymore. Yeah, you know? exactly. What about what about this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot for for okay. a couple different comparisons here. you got to pick one of these that I, that I, uh, that I oh, mentioned geez. here. But Sokol Auditorium or Sokol Underground, which would you rather book a show at? Well, I think he answered it by tearing out Sokol <laughs> Underground. Yeah, I think that does answer it. I mean... <laughs> Look, Sokol Underground was, was a means to an end. It was the only place that would allow us to do shows, but there's a fucking pole in the middle of the crowd and there's a pole in the middle of the stage. That um, fucking, that fucking and, pole. And, fucking and pole, it's, just, it's just, you know, that's what we had to deal with. And the bands would come through and be like, there's a fucking pole in the stage and we just have to deal with it. Yep. So obviously we'd rather book someone in Sokol Auditorium, but I mean, you know, our favorite bands and our probably our favorite, most of our favorite shows were in the underground, whether it was, you know, the Built to Spills, the Gotta Buy Voices, you know, those kind of stuff. That was what, you know, that's what we really loved. What about Cog Factory or Ranch Bowl? We never truly booked anything inside the Ranch Bowl. Okay. We, we kind of put our name on one good life show. It was post the Matt Markle era, the, okay. the, the, yeah. you know, the Mike Brandon era sure. of, of Ranch Bowl. And then we did some, we did two, we did a show outside in the sand with Markle. Uh, but we never really did much of the Ranch Bowl. Um, Cog Factory, I mean, yeah, we did shows there. They were rough. Um, it was when we moved our stuff to Sokol Underground because it was better production, and I just couldn't deal with the bands. You know, as we started to get the bands at the Cog Factory booked before we were involved, understood what they were getting into. They were coming to a place. They didn't have a contract. They didn't have a guarantee. They didn't have shit. And they showed up, and they just played their punk rock show, and that was cool, and that's what they're looking for. We started branching out into bands that were, they wanted something more. They had an agent, and they wanted to be, you know, they wanted hospitality, and they sure. wanted stuff like that. And so we just couldn't put them in the Cog Factory. Um, and so the Cog Factory was great, and I wish we still had something like that. But it was our, you know, our goal was, all, we were already getting older, and it was always, let's find somewhere that serves alcohol that we can do our shows in. I mean, that was a big yeah. part of it. Not that we were alcoholics. I don't even drink. Right. But it was, you know, that was a hey big man, part have, of it. Having a bar helps. <laughs> we were it getting older. And, you know, we, it, it's, you know, the all-ages spot wasn't what we needed necessarily. But all-ages has always been a big part of it, though. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, yeah. you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, oh, we've, yes. we followed the pretty much exact same tra trajectory you know like it sounds like we should be buying a venue in the next year <laughs> no <laughs> yeah we're gonna buy up a rival venue yeah. here in the city mark really give yeah. you give you a run we'll for your money here <laughs> well what's a uh let's end on this something outside of music outside of booking shows what's a hobby that most people don't know about you like what's something outside of music about mark oh i don't know i mean i don't have time for that much i mean i'm <laughs> I, I am you know i admitted that i liked rush earlier so that was one thing but i'm all <laughs> I grew up loving science fiction. I was like a Star Trek and a Star Wars nerd, and I liked all that kind of stuff. And I still do love Star Wars and still like all that stuff. And um, I have watched the Bad Batch. I'm current on the Bad Batch. Are you? Uh, are you? I, are you with the Mandalorian too? I love the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian was, was fucking awesome. Yeah, I, you yeah, know, so and I and I like pinball. I own a couple of pinball games, not just the ones that are here. Yeah. Someone just called me the other day about the Mandalorian pinball game that just got announced, and so I kind of want that. But it means a lot of money. Hell yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I, my, this music was the hobby. Now music sure, is, yeah. is the job now and you sort of figure out how to, you know, meld the two together. But I, I, you know, I do my hobby as a career, yeah. so it's kind of hard to, you know, to pick that out. Now I have a three-year-old kid and, uh, and he takes up a lot of time, even though my wife would probably say I don't spend enough time. Sure. It takes <laughs> up a lot of time and, you know, 
I kind of thought you'd have a kid, and I'd have a lot of time to watch TV. Like, I'd be home. I could watch all these <laughs> cool nah. shows. And no, he's a fucking distraction. And, and, I, and I can't, like, you know, he, he don't want to sit and watch Star Wars. Like, maybe in a couple years, yeah. I'll try and get when him into it. When he grows up it, but, a little you know, bit. How old is he? He's three. three. Yeah, yeah, you got you like at time. least yeah. five or six years. I can't even get him to watch him. I mean, he watches YouTube videos. He doesn't watch a full movie. As soon as he get into a movie, I think it'd be a lot better too. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And the, I mean, I mean you're younger, but I mean, the, the amount of stuff you can watch on the TV now compared to when I was a kid is just astronomically you know, ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I can put on Disney Plus and let him watch a thousand yeah. Disney <laughs> movies, and that's great, you know? I wish we had that when we were kids. I guess that was like that, I'm not that limiting, was blockbuster. I'm not limiting screen time. Let's put it that way. You know, like I, I'm all for it. I think that's what kids are today. You know, we had a shelf in our basement that was every Disney movie on VHS, and that was the Hanlon family's version of that, Disney. Yeah, Plus. I, didn't right. grow up, I didn't even grow up liking Disney or even watching Disney movies. I haven't seen half of them, but you know, but but I did. You know, we were when I was in you know high school and middle school is when cable was starting. I mean, yeah, it was like right. you know, I mean. I went to the time where high school had no cell phones. It's just oh a whole different world, you know. It's a whole different, it's a whole different world these days, and in, in, in more ways than one. But yeah, now I'm sitting in an interview where we're doing a podcast. <laughs> my phone is blowing up in my pocket. <laughs> right. People don't, rea- you know, people don't realize I have shit to do, and you know. All right. Well, what's in there now that all of our phones are blowing up? I think we can probably end it there. Man, Mark, thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was was a great, yeah, great, great. I've turned down other podcasts for the for years, and so I was like, you know, this one we're coming off the pandemic. Let's talk about something cool, and you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we entertained a couple people. It helps that you do it with friends too. I mean, you know, I consider you a friend. Yeah, I I think it's a lot easier to sit down with friends and just have a conversation and like put it on. Yeah, most of the other people were also friends, but I still didn't do it. We're music industry feel fucking friends, special they also? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not trying to say you should feel special, but yeah, I mean, this is not what I normally do, <laughs> and uh, should. you know, uh, but no, this is cool. I, I definitely, you know, I like talking. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, thanks for your time, man. We really appreciate it. We know how crazy things have been getting the last couple weeks, so all right, well, we'll end it there. If you guys want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Left Off Pod, you can find us on Facebook, just simply search our name, the Where We Left Off Podcast. And until next time, we've got a whole bunch of great episodes coming up this summer. But Tommy, it was great to be back in person with you. Thank you for being here with me. It's uh, or I think Thank I think you. we're gonna go go karting after this, so our fun's not done here. That's oh, the we're list. gonna go we rip. Some. If you want to yeah. come, fucking to Joe's karting. Oh we will, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, we, had wait, <laughs> we had a waiting room party at Joe's karting, and people get a little out of hand, oh. and we had some we had a you know accident where we almost hurt somebody. Huh. So, oh, are yeah. you banned well, from Joe's? No, That's we're not banned from Joe's karting. But it, you know, people get a little riled up. You know. Hell yeah. Well, we'll leave it there thank you uh, Thanks, for guys. listening and Marky thank you for joining us we will see you back next week like I said we've got a whole bunch of stuff lined up for the summer so keep tuning in we will see you next time and that's our show if you like what you heard on this episode and want to hear more be sure to like and subscribe to our pages you can find us on Apple, Google, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can also find us on social media, too, at Left Off Pod on Twitter, and just simply search our name on Facebook or Instagram, the Where We Left Off Podcast. See you next time.